Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop begins a series of episodes on the Old Testament. Today, he covers the covenants of the Old Testament, starting with creation and ending with King David. Then, Bishop Rhodes puts it all into context. How do these covenants foreshadow Jesus, the new covenant? Have a question? Submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop. And as part of our Fall share promise, Bishop agreed to do two special episodes, uh, kind of on Old Testament things in the, in the Bible. This week, we'll talk about the Old Testament covenants. And next week, talk about the major prophets from the Old Testament. I'm really excited about this. Thanks for agreeing to do this, Bishop. Kyle, can you identify for me the four major prophets of the Old Testament? I didn't even know there were four. I, I, would, I would have guessed more than that. So, <laughs> Well, there's 12, 12 minor prophets, four major ones. Okay. Come on, get, take a stab at it <laughs> uh, for next see. week. Who do you hear the most at the liturgy? David is a, is a popular one. Uh, Isaiah. A, Isaiah. Isaiah, yes. Was, David's not a prophet. David's okay. a king. <laughs> okay. But okay, Isaiah, good. Isaiah's good. Uh, good. Isaiah's. Moses. Yeah. No, he's no. not a prophet either. Okay. Uh, I'm not doing well at this. Remember, it's a reading from the book of the prophet. Ezekiel. Ezekiel's one of the Ezekiel. four major ones. Okay. Very good. The prophet. Who's the one who I think was most like Christ? He suffered a lot. Uh, Begins with a J. Jeremiah. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Am I at three And then now? there's one that's apocalyptic literature. It's very. It's similar to the Book of Revelation in the New Testament, uh-huh. where it has these dreams and visions and everything. Begins with a D. And it's not David. <laughs> Daniel. Very good. Oh, Daniel. Really. So those okay. are the four we're going to talk about next week. Okay. Whew. Although, so we'll have like fifteen minutes on each one. Is that what you're thinking? I guess. Yeah. Okay. Good. I have to. Is that Who's a lot, or is that, is that not very much time? No. Who's my, who's my favorite? Uh, uh, I'll go with Ezekiel. 
Okay, good. Yeah. Ezekiel. I like Jeremiah. Ezekiel was one of them, right? Yeah, Ezekiel was okay. one of the four. Very good. <laughs> you like the vision of the dry bones? Sure. Yeah, good. And the uh, the flaming chariot? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's Elijah. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing this and not me. Let's just put it that way. So when we're talking about covenants, there's a, a, this. it starts in the Old Testament and then Jesus establishes the ultimate and, and last of these covenants. Is that right? That's correct. So what is a covenant in the first place? It, it's really about God's relationship with us, his people. So when we talk about the covenants in the Old Testament, there are covenants that God made with the Israelites and with particular Israelites. And of course, the new covenant in Christ. And we're the community of the new covenant. We're the, the, the Catholic church. But a covenant fundamentally is uh, a relationship. And it's entered into usually by swearing an oath of fidelity. Okay. Okay. So sometimes there'd be an animal sacrifice as a witness hmm. to the oath that's being taken, the fidelity that's being promised. So if one is faithful to the oath, there would be blessings. And if one was unfaithful, there would be curses upon the one who was unfaithful. Mm -hmm. Often making a covenant could include sharing of a meal, a covenant meal, or another sign marking the covenant. So really when you enter into a covenant, you're entering into a relationship, mm -hmm. like a family relationship. And when you think about it, when we enter into a covenant with God, it's to enter into the divine family of the most holy trinity. So there's been a series of covenants where God enters into relationship with his people, where he expands his family all the way up till he establishes what is really the everlasting covenant, the new and everlasting covenant in his son, Jesus Christ. So... It's good to look at the Old Testament covenants and the relationship that God established with his people yeah. uh, prior to the coming of his son. Would you consider these then conditional or unconditional? Well, they are promises. And of course, on God's side, always fidelity. Mm -hmm. On people's side, infidelity uh -huh. often. And they are conditional. I mean, in the sense that there are blessings right. if one is faithful to the covenant. And as I mentioned, there's the withholding of God's blessing mm -hmm. or curses, bad consequences sure. of infidelity to the covenant. All right. Well, maybe we can jump right in with the first covenant mentioned in the Old Testament. Yeah, sure. That would be the creation. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting thing. We don't, often don't think of 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 covenant with creation. We'll often think of the first covenant being Noah. And if you look at certain books or whatever, they'll mention that the first covenant that God made was with Noah after the flood. But in truth, you can consider creation as a covenant because that whole idea of entering into a relationship, well, by creating us mm -hmm. in his own image and likeness, God has entered into a relationship with us. And when we read the story of creation, there's a seven-day format, and that's pretty significant. It conveys a certain truth 
the importance of the number seven we see all through uh, Scripture, including in God's creation of the world in seven days, he's making a covenant with his creation. And the seventh day is really the day of the sealing of the covenant, so to speak. It's the day of rest. And when we look at the theological truth about creation, God entered into a covenant with his creation by making us not simply his creatures, but making us in his image and likeness so that we can relate to him mm -hmm. with our intellect and our will. We become part of his family, his sons and daughters. So one way I think you can speak of, of um, the seventh day, the Sabbath, as the institution of this permanent or perpetual covenant with creation. That's why in the book of Exodus, chapter 31, we read, so shall the Israelites observe the Sabbath, keeping it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. Between me and the Israelites, it is to be an everlasting sign. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day, he rested at his ease. Hmm. So to be faithful to the covenant of creation, I think means not only respect for creation and care of the earth, etc., but also respect for the summit of God's creation, the human person. Uh -huh. And then our duty as creatures towards our creator to honor him like we do on the Sabbath or now, of course, on Sunday. Sure. All right. Well, We'll continue to talk about the covenants of the Old Testament as we continue this conversation right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here, and we're talking with our bishop about the covenants and Bishop was just talking about the first covenant, which is Adam and Eve. And you mentioned a lot of people might think that Noah is the first, but it's actually, you're considering it the second here after Adam and Eve. And my son recently asked me, he's nine years old, Sebastian, asked if Noah was a real person. I said, you know what? Let's ask Bishop that question. Uh, well, there's debate on this. Okay. I mean, some do believe he was historical, uh, but I'd say most scholars... Uh, would say that um, that he wasn't. In other words, at the time, of course, this is prehistory, so this is important to understand, especially when you read these first chapters of the book of Genesis. We have various myths that were circulating in the ancient Near East that have been discovered and studied by scholars where you see a figure very similar to Noah okay. in these different Mesopotamian myths. And there's also some evidence that there was a great flood in that region, but not a flood that covered the whole earth. Sure. So most scholars would say that the, the Genesis account of the flood is really a variation of a story that was circulating in many cultures, reflecting, and, and what we have in the book of Genesis is a theological reflection on, on this. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a story a theological reflection, so, but it do, is the word of God. It is truth, but not necessarily historical truth. 
But one can also believe, if they want, that he actually existed as a single human being. The church doesn't object to either. I okay. mean, it's, it's a question of history, not of faith. Similar to the parables that Jesus used to right, take, right. a story take this man with a meaning, and, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, so, I wouldn't pronounce judgment on the historicity of, of okay. the Noah account. It's very different when you look at other passages of the Bible where we know that there is this these historical persons like mm-hmm. King David, etc. Sure. Uh, but we're talking here about prehistory. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, what are some of the takeaways from that second covenant, Noah and his family? Oh, it's um, again, it's it's an interesting uh, story with a lot of meaning. How we know at the after the flood, and God had uh, made a promise that He wouldn't destroy creation again. So, there's this recreation that took place after uh, the flood, and Noah built an altar. And he offered burnt offerings to God in thanksgiving for saving his family. Mm -hmm. And God blessed Noah and his family. And he commanded them as he commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And he reminded them how they are made in his own image. And then he established a covenant with Noah and his descendants. And the sign of the covenant is the rainbow. And everything happen, that happens after the water recedes really is reminiscent of that first covenant of creation. You have the blessing, you have man in God's image and likeness, the command to be fruitful and multiply, and then this covenant. So God not only saves humanity, but he desires to bring humanity into a relationship with himself, Mm -hmm. this interpersonal relationship. And that happens via a covenant. So we had the covenant on day seven of creation, that first covenant with Adam. It was with a married couple, Adam and Eve. Now it's expanded to have Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives and through Noah and his family, humanity really gets a second chance. All right. So, first covenant, Adam and Eve. Second covenant, Noah and his family. Where do we go from there? Abraham. Okay. And his descendants. And they, they call these, it'd be like the Adamic covenant and the Noahic covenant. Yeah. The yes. Abrahamic Abrahamic covenant. I've seen them written. Mosaic I don't know exactly com- how to pronounce covenant them. We'll get to. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So this would be the Abrahamic yes. covenant. Yes. Okay. And this has to do with God calling Abraham to leave his homeland and promised him that he would make of him a great nation. He promised the land, the land of Canaan, and um, promised to make his name great. And he promised that all the families of the earth would be blessed because of, of Abraham. So these promises were made raised to the status of a covenant. And these are different oaths that is, are really spread out throughout several chapters of the okay. book of Genesis. So God makes this promise. He swears an oath to give Abraham land. That's Genesis chapter 15. Then he promises him a royal dynasty. That's chapter 17 of Genesis. Then a worldwide blessing through him in Genesis 21. So these are kind of an outline of what's going to happen 
okay, the promise of the land. Remember with the covenant with Moses, we'll see God's people set free from slavery. They returned home to the land, the promised land. Mm -hmm. But then there's the promise of a kingdom, and we see that with King David and the covenant when the kingdom is established. And then, of course, the third, a worldwide blessing. Well, that happens in the new covenant with Jesus when salvation for all nations is established by Jesus. So this is really important that we see these promises that God made to Abraham and how each of these promises was raised to the level of a covenant and they all became fulfilled in salvation history. But not in Abraham's time. Right. Right. So he never saw the fulfillment of these promises. Right. He saw in the his beginning of it, obviously, right. um, because he entered the promised land mm -hmm. himself. But then the people later would be taken away into slavery. But yeah, he didn't see a kingdom established yet, and he didn't see the worldwide blessing established yet. Okay. Yeah. There would be signs or rituals that would take place that kind of gave visible expression of the covenant that God made with Abraham or with any of his, these covenants. In Genesis chapter 15, when God promises the land, God told Abraham to go and fetch a heifer, a she-goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. <laughs> Do you remember it's quite that a scavenger story? hunt? Yeah, yeah. Kind of sounds odd. Um, <laughs> and what does Abraham do? He, or Abram at that point? He cuts uh -huh. the animals in half. Okay. And he waits for God to act. And Abram just keeps vigil there until it's sunset. And then God speaks to him when he after he falls asleep. And God tells him that his descendants will be will be sojourners in a foreign land. They'd be enslaved for 400 years, and then God would rescue them and give them the land of Canaan. Mm -hmm. Well, God confirmed this promise with a solemn act. He passed through the middle of the cut-up animals uh -huh. as a smoking fire and as a flaming torch. Kind of sounds a little bizarre, but <laughs> yes. that was the solemn act of making a covenant. You have this promise, but then it's expressed in this oath and by walking between the two halves of a sacrificed animal, the persons really were saying, the persons who are entering the covenant, may I end like these animals if I'm not faithful to my promise hmm. and my oath. So God made a promise and bound himself to it. A little bit later, Abram took uh, uh, another woman as a concubine named Hagar, and um, that was not a good thing. Um, and uh, after that, you can read in Genesis 17 that God again swears a covenant oath to Abram. God promises that he'll, that he'll have a multitude of descendants. Mm -hmm. And to make the point about his having this future descendants, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means father of many nations, hmm. whereas Abram just meant exalted father. Now it, Abraham means father of many nations. So remember at this point he was childless and he also gave Sarah, Sarai, a new name, Sarah, mm -hmm. who shall be the mother of these nations. Now these sound like great promises, but then what was required of Abraham? What was the sign of this covenant? 
circumcision. circumcision. Not a real pleasant thing. Right. So he was 99 years old, and uh, God demanded this painful procedure as a sign of his covenant with Abraham. Now, I wonder why there had to be another covenant made with Abram, but probably because of that sin with Hagar, that you have these two covenant oaths. So maybe it's the idea of atoning for his sin. Mm-hmm. So a circumcision is then a sign of God's covenant with Abraham, but also perhaps a punishment for his sin. Okay. There's so much more we could say about Abraham. We could go into the sacrifice of Isaac and other things. But from beginning to end, it's about his relationship with God. God is calling him and his descendants to be his people and and promising that the world would receive blessings uh, through him. All right. Well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have more about the Old Testament covenants on truth and charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about the Old Testament covenants. And we have talked about what a covenant is, talked about the first covenant with Adam and Eve, second covenant with Noah and his family, the third covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And now we're up to the fourth covenant. And what would that be? Fourth is with Moses, but it really does follow closely upon Abraham in the sense Remember the promise that God made that the descendants of of Abraham, Israel, the Israelites, would be a channel of blessing for all the people of the world. Mm -hmm. And Israel is then called to be a kingdom of priests, that they're intended to bring a blessing to all the nations. But in order to do so, they have to be a holy people. And God gave them the Ten Commandments, helping them to be holy. So... This relationship, again, covenant is relationship, God had freed them from slavery. He was already in a relationship with him. He manifested his love for them. But now we have the Ten Commandments, which express what it means to belong to God, to be his people. And God is inviting them into this special relationship and by obeying the Ten Commandments. In other words, by doing so, they're returning love to God who had freed them from slavery. Mm -hmm. So the first three commandments are about our relation, people's relationship with God, you know, having no other gods besides him, not taking the name of the Lord in vain and keeping holy the Sabbath. So, and then the, the remaining seven commandments direct relationships among God's people. As we know, do not honor your father and your mother, Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, etc. But then if you continue reading in Exodus chapters 21 to 23, you have the book of the covenant, which is a list of practical laws and that are aimed at governing the peoples uh, for their life in the promised land. Um, How many are those? Oh, there's a lot. I don't. I'd have to. I don't know exactly. Uh, but it's basically how to sh- put uh, love into practice and be a blessing to other nations. Okay. Now we have the covenant. Okay. So 
you have to have two willing partners. So on the one side, you have God. On the other side, you have the Israelites. And by entering in this covenant, they become his people. Moses communicated all the laws to the people, and the people accepted them. And then Moses erected an altar, and it had 12 pillars for the 12 tribes. And Moses and some of the young men sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Mm -hmm. And then Moses threw half of the blood upon the altar and the other half of the blood on the people. That was very symbolic. It's, it suggests this, this covenant bond, this covenantal family bond between God and Israel. And uh, so you have these two parties united in this communion, this bond. God is really their father, and uh, that's one way of thinking of it as a relationship of father and son. But you can also think about it as a marriage with Israel as God's bride. Mm -hmm. Remember, family members share blood. So it made sense that the covenant ceremony that that Moses carried out had blood. Half of it sprinkled on the altar representing God and half sprinkled upon the people. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they had a meal. And we see that in ancient covenant ceremonies as well. They shared the, the flesh, the meat of the sacrificed animals, and they ate it in God's presence. So that was the covenant meal. And this is called the Mosaic Covenant? That's right. Any connection to the art form of mosaics? No. Totally different. Okay. I didn't know if they <laughs> somehow derived from one from the other. And what did they carry the tablets of the Ten Commandments in? The Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, isn't that an interesting name? Okay. The Ark of the Covenant. And again, it signified God's presence among his people, God dwelling among his people. So we have, and they carried that with them. It was a reminder of their relationship with God. And I mean, we could talk, I think we have talked on this show about the Ark of the Covenant before, haven't we? Uh, I could definitely stand more talk about the Ark of the Covenant, but yeah. it's well, an interesting we thing. We probably don't yeah. have time, but but um, but yeah, that's there's a lot of interesting things to to describe the the what was kept in the Ark and its meaning. And mm-hmm. um, isn't there a connection between the Ark of the Covenant and the, today's tabernacle? Right, right. Because because really it was kept in a meeting tent, uh-huh. and the tent was called the tabernacle. So we have the word tabernacle we still use that yeah. comes from the Old Testament for the place where the Lord dwells. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Lord dwells, you know, really and substantially in the Holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Time to move on to the fifth covenant? David. Okay. Excellent. The Davidic covenant. By this time, the Ark of the Covenant was brought to the city of Jerusalem by King David. Mm-hmm. And... David proposed constructing a sanctuary for the Lord there. It was only happened later under his son Solomon, who, who built the temple in Jerusalem. But God made a promise to David that his kingdom would last forever, that it would be an everlasting kingdom. And so God is basically made this covenant. You can read it. It's through the prophet Nathan. And we read this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 11 to 16. This is what Nathan the prophet said to David. 
the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. When he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God is promising fidelity to the house of David. And also, God's covenant family is expanded from one nation with Moses to a kingdom with David. And this is the last major covenant of the Old Testament. It extends the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. So here you have God's promise to Abraham that he would be the father of kings fulfilled, because here you have the king, David. Of course, that promise will find its ultimate fulfillment in the new and everlasting covenant when Jesus, who is the son of David and the son of God, is seated at the right hand of the Father in majesty, Christ the King. Mm -hmm. It's really neat to, to review these Old Testament covenants and see how they find their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The prophets, by the way, they prophesy about the new covenant. Okay. Jeremiah, you know, speaks about a new covenant, and we can uh, talk about that. All right. Well, let's do that here in a moment. You can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Text us on the Holy Cross College text line, 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll talk about the New Testament and how that fits in with these Old Testament covenants. Right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Bishop has been gracious enough to share with us about the Old Testament covenants. And we just went through five different covenants from Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, all leading up to the New Testament, which is Jesus being the new covenant. Are all these foreshadowing or are they... Uh, setting the stage. How would you describe their role? Yeah, they're preparing for the new okay. covenant. They are foreshadowing it because really they're fulfilled in Jesus. And I think, you know, it might be helpful to talk about, well, it's of course the incarnation. It's God becoming man. 
Remember, it's relationship. Covenant is relationship. Well, what more intimate relationship than God actually, that the word became flesh. Mm -hmm. So God and man united. So I would begin with the words of the angel Gabriel at the Annunciation. And he described the child to Mary in these words. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So that great covenant oath that God made to David, that one of his line would rule forever and be God's own son is fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I mean, here it is. And also the covenant promise that Abraham's name will be made great with a royal dynasty. That's also fulfilled. And it's interesting how when at the mystery of the visitation, Elizabeth greets Mary Mary, by the way, is carrying Jesus. She's the new Ark of the Covenant. Uh -huh. She's the new temple of the Lord. She's carrying the Lord with her. Ble Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So in this account, you can think of when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. It's very interesting. David asked, how can the Ark of the Lord come to me? Huh. Well, Elizabeth used that same, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Yeah. And then what did David do before the Ark of the Covenant? He danced. He leapt in joy. Uh -huh. Well, John the Baptist leaped for joy in the womb of Elizabeth when uh -huh. Mary came. Mary remained with Elizabeth for three months. Well, the ark remained for three months in the house of Obedibon before it was brought into Jerusalem. So, I mean, there's St. Luke is definitely making these parallels uh -huh. um, that shows that Mary is the new ark of the covenant. Uh, she's the dwelling place of God. The over Holy Spirit had overshadowed her. The Son of God was conceived in her womb. It's neat to, to see all of this, but I would say that when we look at this covenant, this new covenant in Christ, it's not only a fulfillment of the Old Testament covenants, but it, it, it really brings them to perfection. You can see so many things that were foretold. Think about the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus chose 12 apostles. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not a coincidence. And he appointed one of them to be the leader. King David, you know, had three chief leaders. We read about in 2 Samuel, well, Jesus had an inner group of three, Peter, James, and John. Mm -hmm. We read the story of how he chose 70 to go out into the world and mm -hmm. to proclaim the gospel and to continue his mission. Well, we see that in Jewish tradition, the number 70 representing the nations of the world. And there were 70 elders when the Old Covenant was established between God and the 12 tribes of Israel, huh. 70 elders. So it's very clear here how the covenants are connected. And of course, we have blood. 
It's not the blood of rams or goats or sheep or cattle, but the blood of Jesus himself that brings about reconciliation between God and man and the establishment of the new and definitive kingdom, new and definitive covenant in his blood. He's truly the Lamb of God who was proclaimed by John the Baptist, who offered himself as the new Passover lamb in the new Exodus. <laughs> Every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we're kind of entering into that new covenant. We're, we become part of it because we share the body and blood of Christ, which unites us to him and to one another in his church. And this new covenant is forever. It's perpetual. So there's just so much, I think, that's important to consider uh, this theme. One can really approach the whole Bible, all of salvation history, through this notion of covenant. One thing, kind of when describing all of this, Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament things, makes me think about you. You kind of briefly mentioned Abraham and his son Isaac and in that there's so much imagery of God, the father and his son and making the sacrifice. And I remember somebody pointing out at one point that before Abraham sacrifices his son, Isaac, he's stopped by an angel. And uh, he said that, that God will provide the ram. Mm -hmm. And this is comes to its fulfillment in the new Testament where God provides his son, Jesus, to be that sacrifice as this kind of fulfillment. And, and that's just one example that yeah. kind of sticks out to me as you mentioned it, but so many tie-ins with the life of Jesus that was really predicted or foreshadowed or maybe even symbolically, uh, or, or maybe a sacrifice that was done as a symbol of what was to come and so many tie-ins. Yeah, you know, the fathers of the church wrote a lot about these Old Testament typologies. By typology, it means these different figures, these different events in the Old Testament are types of Christ. They, like we said, prefigure him or they foreshadow him. I mean, just like we spoke of, or of Mary for that matter, mm -hmm. the Queen Mother or the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's fascinating. And, and like you point out, the sacrifice of Isaac and how when it came to Jesus, of course, God spared Abraham's son. God did not spare his own son. Right. You know, St. Paul writes that, and that was out of love mm -hmm. for us. It would be interesting to look at these different typologies, the Passover lamb, symbol of Christ, foreshadowing Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The manna in the desert is a type of the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. You know, food, the bread from heaven. There's uh, dozens and dozens of these foreshadowings that we see. And the fathers of the church, they, they really did a lot of beautiful reflections on these Old Testament typologies. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, you know, we could do that every now and then maybe on the show, especially when we come up to certain feasts. Um, I mean, how many times have we thought about those parallels with the Old Testament? Like I just mentioned about how, you know, the 70 elders, mm -hmm. and then we have the 70 disciples mm -hmm. that Jesus sent on mission. 
or the fact that there were 12 tribes of Israel and then 12 apostles. And, you know, there's just so much yeah. of that. It's pretty neat. The whole notion of the blood of the covenant. Um, and then also you can see some of this in the book of Revelation as well. You know, it was right after the description by St. John of the Ark of the Covenant in heaven that he talks about the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, surrounded by stars and the moon at her feet. <laughs> um, so there's also even that allusion to the Ark of the Covenant in the vision of the woman in, the, in heaven. The Bible is fascinating. It really is. Yeah. Uh, so this new covenant the final covenant, the last covenant, is this the crucifixion of Jesus? Is it the institution of the Eucharist or both? Both. Okay. Because really, when you think about it, the institution of the Eucharist is, a, and when you think about the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread, said, this is my body. He took the cup of wine and said, this is the chalice of the blood of the new covenant mm -hmm. or the new covenant in my blood. It was foreshadowing what was going to happen the next day when his body would be broken for us and his blood poured out for us. Mm -hmm. So there's a unity between Holy Thursday and Good Friday and also Easter Sunday, the Paschal mystery, the passion, death, resurrection, and then the ascension of Jesus. But I would say as far as the covenant is concerned, it was established, the everlasting covenant, when Jesus overcame sin and mm -hmm. death. So it was when his blood was poured out for us as he hung upon the cross and died for our salvation. That's what established the new covenant. It was the new covenant in his blood. And then of course, Jesus was raised from the dead. So as a people of the new covenant, we're part of the community of the resurrection. But we continue to remember and to celebrate his sacrifice on the cross, sure. which becomes present on the altar at every mass. So in a sense, we could speak of our participation in the new covenant is through our reception into or our participation in holy mass and our reception of holy communion. And so what would be the sign of that covenant? The sign of the covenant would be the body and blood of Jesus, okay. which is under the, comes to us under the species of bread and wine. Uh -huh. Yeah. But it's also, I guess, visually represented in the crucifix right. as well. So. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been very fascinating. You mentioned at the beginning of the show, the four major prophets of the Old Testament, which was news to me, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so really looking forward to that. We'll talk about well, that next week. How do you want week. to talk about them, Kyle? Do you want me to just like talk about their lives or their, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about. I mean, do you just want to kind of do a summary of their life or their teaching or what? I would love to just understand kind of their role and how they fit into uh, the salvation history and and kind of I, I think sometimes we we hear these stories at mass and they're a little bit out of context for us and we don't see the bigger picture right and so by just kind of that overview of all right what was well you know what I that's Isaiah's good. role and and yeah. how does that fit in and who was he and maybe yeah. and also we've been talking about the relationship with the New Testament. 
and I forgot to say, there's a very famous sentence that the New Testament is hidden in the Old, mm. and the Old Testament is manifest in the New. Yeah. And that is really, really true. And we've been talking about things. The, the, the New Testament is hidden in the Old. Yeah. Now, there are certain things like when we, when we talk about Isaiah, I mean, we have the suffering servant Psalms. Maybe we could talk a little bit about those when you want to see their role in salvation history. Well, yeah. Isaiah talked about the Messiah being one who would suffer and mm -hmm. very vivid description of the sufferings of the servant of the Lord. Again, a prophecy of Christ. Sure. But Jeremiah himself, when you look at the life of the prophet Jeremiah, you're reminded of Jesus, what he went through. So again, I, I think we'll be able to see how the New Testament is hidden in the old when we talk about these major prophets. All right. Well, I can't wait. Hopefully people will listen in next week for that special episode of Truth and Charity. Thank you so much, Bishop, for another great episode. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.